Chapter Seventeen of Anne of Green Gables. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter Seventeen of Anne of Green Gables by Lucy Maud Montgomery. Read by Robin on January eleventh, two thousand nine. The next afternoon, Anne, bending over her patchwork in the kitchen window, happened to glance out and behold Diana, by the dryad's bubble, beckoning mysteriously. In a trice, Anne was out of the house and flying down to the hollow. Astonishment and hope struggled in her expressive eyes, but the hope faded when she saw Diana's dejected countenance. "'Your mother hasn't relented,' she gasped. Diana shook her head mournfully. "'No, and oh, Anne, she says I'm never to play with you again. I've cried and cried and told her it wasn't your fault.' but it wasn't any use. I had ever such a time coaxing her to let me come down and say good-bye to you. She said it was only to stay ten minutes, and she's timing me by the clock. Ten minutes isn't very long to say an eternal farewell,' said Anne tearfully. "'Oh, Diana, will you promise faithfully never to forget me, the friend of your youth, no matter what dear friends may caress thee?' "'Indeed I will,' sobbed Diana and I'll never have another bosom friend I don't want to have. I couldn't love anybody as I loved you. Oh, Diana, cried Anne, clasping her hands. Do you love me? Why, of course I do. Didn't you know that? No, Anne drew a long breath. I thought you liked me, of course, but I never hoped you'd love me. Why, Diana, I didn't think anybody could love me. Nobody ever has loved me since I can remember. Oh, this is wonderful. It's a ray of light which will forever shine in the darkness of a past severed from thee, Diana. Oh, just say it once again. I loved you devotedly, Anne, said Diana, staunchly, and I will always will, and you may be sure of that. And I will always love thee, Diana, said Anne, solemnly, extending her hand. In the years to come thy memory will shine like a star over my lonely life. As that last story we read together, says Diana, wilt thou give me a lock of thy jet-black tresses in parting to treasure forevermore? Have you got anything to cut it with? queried Diana, wiping away the tears which Anne's affectionate accents had caused to flow afresh, and returning to practicalities. Yes, I've got my patchwork scissors in my apron pocket, fortunately, said Anne. Solemnly, she clipped one of Diana's curls. Fare thee well, my beloved friend. Henceforth we must be as strangers, though living side by side. But my heart will ever be faithful to thee. Anne stood and watched Diana, out of sight, mournfully waving her hand to the latter whenever she turned to look back. Then she returned to the house, not a little consoled for the time being by this romantic parting. It's all over, and she informed Marilla. I shall never have another friend. I'm really worse off than ever before, for I haven't Katie Maurice or Violetta now, and even if I had, it wouldn't be the same. Somehow little dream girls are not satisfying after a real friend. Diane and I had such an affecting farewell done by the spring. It will be sacred in my memory forever. I used the most pathetic language I could think of and said thou and thee. Thou and thee seems so much more romantic than you. Diana gave me a lock of her hair, and I'm going to sew it up in a little bag and wear it around my neck all my life. Please see that it's buried with me, for I do not believe I'll live very long. Perhaps when she sees me lying cold and dead before her, Mrs. Barry may feel remorse for what she's done, and will let Diana come to my funeral. I don't think there's much fear of you dying of grief as long as you can talk, Anne, said Marilla unsympathetically. 
following monday anne surprised marilla by coming down from her room with her basket of books on her arm and hip and her lips priming into a line of determination she announced that is all there is left in life for me now that my friend has been ruthlessly torn from me in school i can look at her and muse over days departed you better muse over your lessons in some said marilla concealing her delight at this development of the situation if you're going back to school i hope you will have no more talk of breaking slates over people's heads and such carryings on behave yourself and do just what your teacher tells you i'll try to be a model pupil agreed anne dolefully there won't be much fun in it i expect mr phillips said minnie andrews was a model pupil and there isn't a spark of imagination or life in her she's just dull and pokey and never seems to have a good time but i feel so depressed that perhaps it'll come easy to me now i'm going round by the road i couldn't bear to go by the birch path all alone i should weep bitter tears if i did anne was welcomed back to school with open arms her imagination had been sorely missed in games her voice in the singing and the dramatic ability in the pursual allowed of books at dinner ruby gillis smuggled three blue plums over her during testament reading ella may mcpherson gave her an enormous yellow pansy cut from the cover of a floral catalogue a species of desk decorations much prized in avonlea school sophia sloane offered to teach her a perfectly elegant new pattern of knit lace so nice for trimming aprons katie bolter gave her a perfume bottle to keep slate water in and julia bell copied carefully on a piece of pale pink paper scalloped on the edges the following effusion when twilight drops her curtain down and pins it with a star remember that you have a friend though she may wander far it's so nice to be appreciated sighed anne rapturously to marilla that night the girls were not the only scholars who appreciated her when anne went to her seat after dinner hour she had been told by mr phillips to sit with the model millie andrews she found on her desk a big luscious strawberry apple anne caught it up already to take a bite when she remembered the only place in avonlea where strawberry apples grew was in the old blythe orchard on the other side of the lake of shining waters anne dropped the apple as if it were a red-hot coal and, and ostentatiously wiped her fingers on her handkerchief the apple lay untouched on her desk until the next morning when little timothy andrews who swept the school and kindled the fire annexed it as one of his perquisites charlie sloane's slate pencil gorgeously bedonized with stripped red and yellow paper costing two cents where ordinary pencils cost only one which she had set up to her after dinner hour met with a favorable reception anne was graciously pleased to accept it and rewarded the donor with a smile which exulted and infatuated youth straightway into seventh heaven of delight and caused him to take such fearful errors in his dictation that mr phillips kept him in after school to rewrite it but as the Caesar's pageant, shorn of Brutus' bust, did but of Rome's best son remain her more. So the marked absence of any tribute or recognition from Diana Barry, who was sitting with Gertie Pye, embittered Anne's little triumph. But the next morning a note fearfully and wonderfully twisted and folded into a small parcel were passed across to Anne. Dear Anne, ran the former, Mother says I'm not to play with you or talk to you even in school. It isn't my fault, and don't be cross at me, because I love you as much as ever. I miss you awfully to tell all my secrets to, and I don't like Gertie Pye one bit. I made you one of the new bookmarkers out of red tissue paper. They're awfully fashionable now, and only three girls in school know how to make them. When you look at it, remember. Your true friend, Diana Barry. Anne read the note, kissed the bookmark, and dispatched a prompt reply back to the other side of the school. My own darling Diana, of course I'm not cross at you because you have to obey your mother. Our spirits can commune. I shall keep your lovely present forever. Minnie Andrews is a very nice girl, although she has no imagination. But after having been Diana's bosom friend, I cannot be Minnie's. 
please excuse mistakes because my spelling isn't very good although i've much improved yours until death do us part Anne or cadelia shirley p s i shall sleep with your letter under my pillow tonight a or c s marilla pessimistically expected more trouble since anna had begun to go to school but none developed perhaps anne caught something of the model spirit from minnie andrews at least she got on very well with mr phillips thenceforth she flung herself into her studies heart and soul determined not to be outdone in any class by gilbert blythe the rivalry between them was soon apparent it was entirely good-natured on gilbert's side but it is much to be feared that the same thing cannot be said of anne who had certainly an unpraiseworthy tendency for holding grudges she was intense in her hatred as in her loves she would not stoop to admit that she meant to rival gilbert in schoolwork because that would have been to acknowledge his existence which anne persistently ignored but the rivalry was there and honors fluctuated between them now gilbert was the head of the spelling class now anne with a toss of her long red braids spelled him down one morning gilbert had all his sums done correctly and his name written on the blackboard on the roll of honor the next morning anne having wrestled wildly with decimals the entire evening before would be first one awful day they were ties and their names were written up together it was almost as bad as take notice and anne's mortification was as evident as gilbert's satisfaction when the written examinations at the end of each month were held the suspense was terrible the first month gilbert came out three marks ahead the second anne beat him by five but her triumph was marred by the fact that gilbert congratulated her heartily before the whole school it would have been ever so much sweeter to her if he had felt the sting of his defeat mr phillips might not have been a very good teacher but a pupil so inflexibly determined on learning as anne was could hardly escape marking progress under any kind of teacher by the end of the term anne and gilbert were both promoted into fifth class and allowed to begin studying the elements of the branches by which latin geometry french and algebra were meant in geometry anne melt her waterloo it's perfectly awful stuff marilla she groaned i'm sure i'll never be able to make head or tail of it there's no scope for imagination in it at all Mr. Phillips says I'm the worst dunce he ever saw at it, and Gil—I mean, some of the others are so smart at it. It's, it is extremely mortifying, Marilla. Even Diana gets along better than I do, but I don't mind being beaten by Diana. Even although we meet as strangers now, I still love her with an inextinguishable love. It makes me very sad at times to think about her, but really, Marilla, one can't stay sad very long in such an interesting world, can one? End of chapter 17